Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Undiscovered You, a podcast for 20, 30, and 40-year-olds who feel like they have so much more to offer, but are somehow stuck where they are. I'm your host, Kimberly Johnston, and this season, we're talking all about being the authentic you. I'm extremely excited to be joined today by Sarah Bentley. Sarah Bentley is none other than the CEO of Thames Water. She's also the executive director there, and she's also a director of the Water UK and a non-executive director of the largest retail bank in the UK, Lloyds Bank and Bank of Scotland, and a mother of five. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kimberly. I'm delighted to be here and looking forward to our conversation. So, Sarah, one thing I have to say about you, I mean, looking at this resume, you would automatically think that you would be a certain type of person. And I can tell our listeners immediately, you are the opposite of whatever they are imagining. For our listeners right now, Sarah has showed up in this beautiful, bright orange colored shirt. She just is relaxed. She's here and she's so open. And I think that is just such a credit to you. So I just wanted to start by saying Thank you for being you. You are the authentic you in everything that I've ever seen you show up in. Thanks, Kimberly. That's really kind of you to say. I think I'm not sure I've got the energy to be anything other than me. Um, As you said, I've got quite a busy life. So it's quite a juggling act doing all of those things without kind of creating some other person that I'm also trying to be. So I wish I had the energy or the capacity to do that as well. But maybe that's another life. I love that. So let's talk about how you got to where you are. So where did you where did you study? How did you get into being the CEO of a utility company? Can you walk me through your journey? Yeah, I'd love to say it was organized uh, in a thoughtful, planned way. Uh, and as you can probably imagine, it was anything but. And actually, I was giving a talk to um, one of my kids' schools and there was another mom, um, both of us work, both of us were talking about future careers and actually she'd followed a much more structured career. She's a lawyer, a very, very successful lawyer. And I think there are certain career paths that you take where there's a way to get there. Um, I'm not sure that there's a a way to become a CEO. Um, If there is, I certainly did it by quite a circuitous route. And I'm not even sure that I ever set a destination to do that. I was a bit confused about what I wanted to be when I grew up, when I was a kid. So I really love English literature, passionately read books um, and would happily spend my time reading many more books. And I'm a complete maths nerd. So give me a quadratic equation and I'm just about the happiest person on the planet. In fact, anytime my kids get stuck on maths homework is sort of like the best night ever for me. Uh, Everybody thinks that's a bit weird. So I didn't really know what I wanted to, to do. And I ended up then going off traveling and exploring the world um, because I wanted to just see what was out there and go and discover it all. So my early part of my career went from some really sort of strange things. I mean, I was an electrician in a restaurant in Germany, uh, right the way through to working for a software company, spending some time in hotel chains. I mean, just in Australia, just different parts of the world, totally different ideas and careers. And um, really then still grappling with what do I wanna be when I grow up? And I realized that actually I was getting quite grown up during this process of still not quite figuring it out. Um, And actually I went back after an English literature degree back to university as a mature student to do maths because obviously I needed to get that out of my system. Uh, So I did that, but I was working at the time to pay for it. And through that actually, there was a couple of common threads that emerged. 
I really, really passionately care about customers and really it kind of frustrated uh, me that businesses made life hard for customers to do business with them. Um, and this was in the sort of um, early 90s where um, a lot of the people on this uh, listening to this podcast might not remember that at those days, banks were open from nine till three and you had to book an appointment with your bank manager to do any transaction uh, other than take money out of a cash point, which, you know, came in little printed envelopes. I still remember sort of peeling them open and the cash was in them. So, you know, things were almost frustrating a customer experience. I knew I really loved that. The other thing that I realized that I enjoyed was exploring and being curious about technology and how technology could be applied to make life easier and better and how to take some of that friction out of it. So those things became obvious. But other than that, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I ended up working for a software company and then followed my nose through various different opportunities. And I think part of what got me here was just being really open-minded, really curious, being passionate about some things and then sort of following my nose. And that took me to from Germany to Switzerland to the United States um, and probably would have left me in the United States if I hadn't then fallen in love. Um, uh, it turns out that he's a really good guy and is uh, I'm happily married to him. Uh, and his father to my children. So that, that, but I don't think I'd have left New York for any other reason. Um, it was a wonderful five and a half years that I spent in the States. And that brought me back here. And I think at that point, when I came back to the UK after over 10 years of being abroad and exploring things, I realized that actually I needed to do something that I loved because I could tell that all the things I loved doing, I just did really well. I needed to be something to do with customers and it had to have something to do with technology. And that sort of all led me through to, you know, being at Accenture Digital, where I was for five years and helping lots of different companies in different sectors to reconnect with their customers and explore how to use technology to do that, which led me then to being chief customer officer of Seven Trent, where I could do it for real. Uh, and that led me here to Thames Water, which I started a year ago and I'm delighted to do. And it also led me to the bank and thinking about the journey that Lloyds are doing to help Britain prosper, which is giving back to society, supporting customers and technology. It's sort of my dream role. So a circuitous route and not quite as straightforward as my friend and fellow mom at school who followed the loyally route, but always very clear about being passionate and interested in the things that I've been doing. I, I love it. And I want to pick up a few of the things that you brought up there. One was you went back to school to study something that you were interested in and get that kind of scratch that itch. And I've heard that from a lot of my podcast guests is people have gone back to educate themselves while they've been working, putting themselves through MBAs, putting themselves through math degrees, you know, getting executive coaching qualifications, whatever it is. And I think it's really important for listeners to recognize that when you want to make that shift, or that transition, sometimes you do need additional qualifications. And you can do that while you're working. So you can follow your passions, develop yourself in your current job, but take that next step and figure out what it is you need to do that next thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was busy, don't get me wrong. And I think just for, for transparency and clarity, I actually needed to go back and do my undergraduate degree because I dropped out of uni halfway through my first one. I decided that I knew everything there was to know about English literature, that I'd read enough Chaucer, 
And actually it was a combined degree with Central School of Speech and Drama. And I loved directing and I wanted to go off and direct plays. So I took four plays up to Edinburgh Festival and I did uh, performed and directed in plays in London. And I thought, well, why am I studying all this? I can just quit uni and crack on, which wasn't the most popular decision with my parents, I think uh, it's fair to say. Um, and uh, and so actually when I went back to university, it was partly because I did mathematics, which I love, and computer science and management, which were things that I had created an interest in having kind of realized that actually being a director of West End plays would be lovely, but probably unlikely to be a meaningful uh, and worthwhile career with my limited ability in that. It is for the very few, but uh, it's a passion, but not a talent. And I think knowing the difference is key. Um, but I, I knew that I needed to kind of, or not that I knew that I needed, I wanted to get a degree out of my system. My mm. father was the only one of 14 um, uh, sorry, of, of his five siblings that went to university. And I was the one of the 14 grandchildren uh, who went to university and then I dropped out and that just felt wrong. And so I sort of, I felt like I needed to do it for me as much as I knew that it was probably going to be important if I wanted to switch and do a career in business. I love that passion versus talent. I think that is a very important <laughs> point to make. And I actually had a, a similar experience where I told my parents I was graduating early. So I did actually finish, but I was well graduating done. early <laughs> to go to Nashville to be a country star. And um, my father basically said that I was completely financially cut off from that moment on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can't wait to hear you on a guitar later. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. So back to being your authentic self. I mean, a mathematics degree, I can imagine there were few women in there. Yeah, it's not. Um, I, I, I get very upset, actually. I love maths. I mean, I really love maths. Ask my all of my children. Uh, I love maths. But it's there, there is I, I, it really upsets me that still today maths is considered to be a very male subject. Um, and actually not a very interesting subject. So the fact that my daughters might be interested in it makes them quite uncool in certain environments. And I think that's so sad because it's such a core for so many different important avenues. Um, and, and even just being able to manage a household or you know, sort out your own future you know, financial planning, just you know, basic maths is so important. But it's just considered to be an uncool subject. Um, but the one thing that really inspired me was, um, you know, quite often I think we talk about our teachers. We had this frighteningly scary, brilliant uh, math teacher. I remember her name. Um, and she looked like the sort of, she always used to wear a white lab coat and she looked like the slightly scary woman in one of the James Bond films with the pointy toe. Um, and everyone was slightly in fear of her. And I think that's what made us work really hard but you could tell how passionate she was about maths. And I think that inspired something in me to really want to understand it. Um, and, you know, I wish that, you know, more of our children could have more access to inspiring education, but particularly that some of the gender labels don't start so early on in school where there's sort of girl subjects and boys subjects just sort of that, that frustrates me enormously so any opportunity that I can have to share my passion in maths as a girl uh, is really really key for me.
I think I think we have a campaign somewhere around maths is cool and kind of showing all the ways because even if you want to be a, a designer, which would be more of a girly type of a role that you know stereotypically girly, you need to know maths. You need to know how to cut things. You need to know angles. You know, maths is important in every industry, save a few. So I think absolutely we need to show maths is cool. <laughs> That's our next campaign, Sarah. Perfect. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> So, so now you've moved from mass and now you're going into utilities, you're going into banking, you're sitting on boards. They're again, not big female heavy areas. Tell me, how do you rock up without having a short haircut, you know, shoulder pads in, speaking in a low voice, commanding the room, all the things that you're taught in the eighties and nineties in order to do, to get into these male environments. How do you just show up as Sarah? Yeah, I mean, this authentic self, I think, is really, really important to me. And I joked right at the beginning of our podcast that I don't think I have the energy for it. I mean, I am deeply grateful for all the women who went before me, who created the opportunity for me and, uh, you know, all of us to be women in the workplace. And I think the environment that they had to deal with, where they had to pile on those 80s shoulder pads and be more manly than the men just to prove their worth wasn't something that a lot of the, the women I know and uh, role models I've had didn't love doing it, but mm. it was kind of the only way into the room. I think, you know, it, that was still present when I was starting in my career, um, but it was less obvious, um, you know, or, or there was more permission. I think less so probably in the 90s. I mean, I remember my, you talked about my bright dress. My clothing in the 90s was deeply dull. Now that's partly because I'm not entirely sure that I've got brilliant fashion sense and I'm a very poor shopper. Uh, so I found that if I bought things in black, navy or beige, it was sort of vaguely safe and I could just cycle through a nice mix and match wardrobe as I was traveling the globe uh, with the various jobs I did. And actually the colors only really came in when uh, after I had kids uh, and um, part of it was that I had sort of such a shocking waistline. I mean, in awe of these women that snap back into their size six clothing within like a millisecond of giving birth. Uh, rest assured, that wasn't me. I don't think I've ever been a size six. I mean, I might have been one on the way to my 12 to 14, uh, more 14 at the end of lockdown than 12 for the avoidance of doubt. And so one of the things I realized that actually to cover up a slightly less pleasant waistline was if you wore really bright colors and big necklaces then people didn't look at the fact that you had a slightly mushy tummy so it was actually started as a distraction technique um believe it or not and uh, rather than sort of me being a boring shopper and then actually I realized that as more of me came into work more of the people I was in came into work with came into work as well and they're into they seem to enjoy themselves more I seem to enjoy myself more and I sort of stumbled into it and then wondered well why had I been so sort of android in the early part of my career and I, I, I don't think it was particularly conscious it was definitely a step away from this sort of quite male uh, dominated female persona that I think as I said people had before but but, you know, moving into a place where actually, um, you know, you could wear bright colours, you could talk about actually not quite fitting into your clothes. You know, you could have a conversation to say, look, I'd really love to do that call at six, but 
I've re- I've got, you know, a few young children and I need to bathe them and I don't really want to drown them. So if I could just get through that process, I'm really happy to jump on a call at eight. They should all be down by then. Um, and actually having male colleagues turn around and say, Do you know what, that would be amazing. I'll get so many brownie points for actually showing up and participating in mealtime. Let's do that. Let's ditch it now. Um, and uh, don't drown your kids. I'll have dinner with my kids. And then we jump on a call at eight and, and they just open something up. So I think, I don't know whether there was a sort of natural confidence. It was almost like I stumbled into it and realized that it worked actually for a much broader section of the workplace than just me trying to hide a slightly lumpy tummy. I love it. It's like authenticity is contagious is basically yeah. what you're saying. <laughs> and it is, it's giving permission. And, and the other thing is, is as soon as you don't have that guard up, as soon as you're not focusing on trying to be somebody else, as you said, right at the beginning, you're able to open your mind up to focus on other things. One of the stories I'd love for you to share, uh, if you don't mind, with our listeners is about a time that you went out and you met somebody as the CEO. So kind of you were new on the job. Would you just share a bit about the story? I love the story. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things I've done, I've been at Tim's for a year. And one of the things I've I've done is go out and about and meet our frontline teams. And, um, And that wasn't just to meet the frontline team, that's my DNA. I get so much energy out of spending time with our amazing frontline key workers. And I think all of us over the last 18 months or so have got a great appreciation for really the incredible job that our key workers do across so many sectors. And none more in water, you know, where we've all been desperately keen to wash our hands over the last while. Uh, And you couldn't do it without the amazing people at Thames and the other people right the way throughout the water sector. So it gives me energy. It also makes sure that I'm connected with our business. And, um, and you know makes the business real so uh, in our in our sector obviously we have to wear protective equipment you know high vis um particularly on our treatment work so i sort of rocked up at this um treatment works which had a security um cabin at it and sort of knocked on the window and this really sweet guy said oh who are you and i said well i'm sarah and um and he said oh sarah bentley and i said yeah yeah that's sarah and he went oh crikey how did you get here? Now, bearing in mind that I was wearing high-vis jacket, high-vis trousers, I even had a high-vis backpack just to get the whole look going on, um, and then a, and, uh, and a hard hat and big steel tech cap boots. Uh, all my other safety equipment, like glasses and gloves, were in the backpack with laptop and all the other bits and pieces that I needed, makeup bag, always got to take one of those, um, in my trustily large uh, bag. Anyway, so I think, so how did you get here? And I said, well, I, I walked from the tube. No, I came on the tube. And he said, what do you mean the tube? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, still the tube. And he said, um, well, how did you get from the tube? And I said, well, I walked. And he said, what, through the housing estate? I said, yeah, I walked through the housing estate. And he went, oh, oh, well, how are you getting back? And I said, curiously enough, I'm walking through the housing estate <laughs> and going back on the tube. And, um, and he went, oh, crikey. And I said, well, uh, and he said, where's everyone else and I said oh I, I, and then I suddenly felt really guilty because I hadn't invited anyone else and so I thought gosh I hope I'm not wasting their time just for me and I think he was expecting this whole entourage, entourage. sofa driven entourage to establish and instead there was this sort of little old me in my high vis with my backpack knocking on the skirt anyway it did take a little while to convince him that I was really me I didn't have an entourage and I could walk from the tube but I did then get into the site after about 15 minutes which was fabulous so uh, I think everyone at Thames is getting used to the fact that I now sort of 
sling my bag over my backpack and then uh, you know off I go on uh, on tubes and trains and buses and any other way to get there but um, it just shows you I think that sometimes there's this myth and this mystique around these job titles and and actually we're all just human and the more that we can be human and be ourselves it's just a much better space to live in. Yeah, I think that's great. And it's that connection between sort of frontline workers and that top executive suite. And, you know, you see a lot of it now where that executive suite is becoming part and parcel with other floors and people are moving down. It's no longer this ivory tower that is quite scary. And one thing I want to just point out here is you had a conversation with someone who has ideas in your company that you would never have access to unless you spoke to that person. And if you are up in an ivory tower, you are not getting the best information, the most diverse ideas. You know, you are not seeing it. For, you're seeing it from people looking at numbers, from looking at pages, from having gone to M do their MBA, from having been educated a certain way. But actually, the people on the ground could have the best ideas in the entire world. And, and you doing this is not only allowing you to be your authentic self, but also allowing you to get this diversity of thought. Absolutely. And I don't know, I, I would just, I, I don't know that they could have the best ideas. I think they absolutely do have the best ideas. And I think the role of any leader, you know, whether you're the CEO or in any leadership position is to enable, create the environment for your teams to thrive. And that's kind of the way that I've always seen a leadership role is actually to serve our frontline colleagues. Um, and whether frontline in our, our area means key workers, you know, obviously in the bank, that could be in the contact centers, it could be in the branches, it could be actually some of the key people who are coding and enabling digital access to online services and other things. And I think right the way across different sectors, the people who are really doing the work supporting customers need our support as leaders to enable them to be their best self every day. And all the ideas to improve terms of performance are with our teams they know what to do they're frustrated by the things that don't work and that's why I spend most of my time listening to what what their to their ideas and providing a platform or a conduit or coaching or helping connect them to other people in our organization or outside our organization that can help things uh, move forward and accelerate so I think that quite often it's called servant leadership but this mm -hmm. sense of really helping our teams be the best self every day has got to be the right answer. Yeah, I think Simon Sinek wrote a book, um, Leaders Eat Last, and it's all about that. So if you have not read that book, absolutely pick that one up. I don't even know Simon, just plug in his book. Um, but <laughs> no, not, not yet. Come on, Simon. Uh, but what I would also just want to ask you, so this is called The Undiscovered You. Um, during this process, what have you discovered about yourself? So this whole being authentic, showing up, being a very different look and feel to a CEO. What have you discovered about yourself? Yeah, I. Um, I it's interesting what you discover and you don't discover. Actually, for um, someone who is, you know, um, very bubbly, uh, that's the feedback I get. I'm actually quite a quiet person. Um, and so, you know, there's part of my authentic self that no, loves nothing more than to shut myself in a room and read a book. Um, and here I am, and I am in a role that requires me to be out there. I've got five kids, you know, and a dog and a husband, you know, a noisy, busy household. And sometimes I just need 
complete quiet. Um, and so, you know, one of the things is, I know that's an important part of my job and I'm happy to do it actually. I'm happy to do it if I know that going out and about is more about listening than broadcast. And I, that's not a natural act for me, which probably makes some of the conversations that happen out there easier because I'm naturally introverted and I want to listen to others rather than uh, be, you know, be broadcasting. It comes back to directing, not acting, which is uh, something that I, I really enjoyed. I have also discovered that I need my sort of hour a week of silence. Uh, and it's not quite silence, but the kids know that after church on a Sunday, when I'm peeling the veg for roast, um, the classical music goes on. And if anybody comes in, they literally need to have an arm or a leg hanging off. It needs to be that serious. Otherwise, mummy just needs a quiet time. So I definitely need my quiet time. I think the other thing that I've really learned is um, that I need to really care about the things that I do. And it might surprise you, it might surprise some of the people listening to know that um, that uh, despite, I, I've got loving, amazing parents and I'm so grateful for them, but I've also got a mum that thinks that I shouldn't work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I, I hope at some days at the week, she's proud of what I do. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, her, you know, her, background upbringing values is that you know women stayed at home and looked after the family and you know given I thought I couldn't have a family I've got a loving stepson who I adore and then I was told I couldn't have my own children uh, clearly with the four that then came along uh, that was slightly wrong but they were hard sought and much loved and so to then be in a situation and, and having these slightly unusual conversations with my mom around you didn't think you could have them. Are you sure you want to leave them and go to work? Mm. And actually, when you're making decisions about how you spend your time, and I'm sure each of us sit there and say, you know, am I spending my time doing the things that I really want to do? Because every minute is precious. Um, and again, we've seen that over the last while. But I need to be able to look myself in the mirror and look my kids in the mirror and say the time that I spend with them is really important. It's really precious. And I'm fully present. And the time that I spend at work, I can explain why I'm at the work and not at a watching a cricket match or not going to a flute concert. And and that comes back to the purpose, which is one of the reasons why I'm at Thames, because, you know, we serve our customers in the communities and we protect the environment. And actually, if I help to turn around and fix this company, I'm not just helping our customers and the immediate sense that we've got in terms of community but I'm actually leaving a lasting legacy for generations of a sustainable future and an improved environment that's something that I can really explain to my children and in fact if I then explain that to them and I'm not working really hard they give me a really hard time uh, if we're not performing well enough so I think that sense of you know, when we talk about authentic self, being true to your values so that when you look at what you're doing and how you're spending your time and making choices about where you're not spending your time, you can sit comfortably and know that you're in the right place. And that, I think, has been really, really important for me. I love that. And I think all of our listeners, when you're when you're looking at your life right now and you're thinking about that transition and where you want to go, focus on that. We, we you know we we talked about where your passions, where your talents, making sure that those match up, making sure you're doing something you love that you want to spend your time on, recognizing that you are replaceable in any job, but you are not replaceable to your family. Recognizing those things like you know you need an hour, you know you need that. What do you need? What is it that you need? And for me, I'm a massive extrovert. 
And what I found is actually not being in the office. I love working from home. I love seeing my kids. I love not having to commute, but actually I'm starting to feel a bit, what I would almost classify as depressed. I feel depleted. Mm. And I realized recently speaking to another extrovert who's back in the office, he was like, I'm back in the office. I feel really invigorated. And so recognizing those things about yourself as well. And as you said, you're an introvert. Naturally, you have to be extroverted for part of your job. But actually that introverted, just listening phase, you're able to bring in as well. So all that I think is absolutely amazing. So you have given us huge, amazing nuggets of advice here. What is the best piece of advice you've ever given us, been given or given someone else or heard? We ask all of our, all of our uh, guests this. So what, what would yours be? Well, gosh, I've been really blessed with so many people that I admire and look up to, whether they're people I don't know, and we, you know, uh, some incredibly amazing role models that exist in the world. Um, and, uh, and also some really kind people who've mentored me. And I guess that the, the piece of advice that, uh, or encouragement actually came from my parents. Um, you know, my mom uh, worked for the NHS. My dad was a university lecturer. So neither of them forged careers in the way that we would uh, we would necessarily classify them in terms of, you know, status or symbols. You know, they were all sitting there do, doing things that they loved. And I guess they, they told me something really early on um, is do things that you really are passionate about um, and believe that anything is possible. Um, and most importantly, leave the world better than you found it. And I think those, uh, that sense of real purpose that they instilled in me, I don't think they imagined that it would end up being what I'm doing today, <laughs> but I can honestly say that I am hugely passionate about both Lloyd's and uh, Thames. Um, I um, you know, believe that anything is possible, that we can really make a difference. And uh, you know, when I look back at the situations I've um, been in so far in my life, I genuinely think I've left them better than I've found them. And I hope that I do that in the roles that I'm currently in. That's amazing. Well, I cannot tell you, Sarah, what an honor it has been to have you on the podcast. Thank you for imparting your knowledge. Thank you for showing up as your authentic self and just being a role model to people who want to be authentic leaders. And even if you're not the CEO of a company, you can be an authentic leader in the space that you're operating. So thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Absolute pleasure, Kimberly. And thank you to everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Join us next week when we speak to Lucy Escott about being her authentic self as an executive director at a major financial institution. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment below. And I hope you're one step closer to discovering the undiscovered you.